Okay, we are in Ezra chapter 8 tonight. Chapter 7 and chapter 8 are talking about the return, the return trip of Ezra. So far what we've seen in the book of Ezra is the history coming up to chapter 1 through chapter 6 as Ezra's kind of providing some history on what's taken place up until 458. And then in chapter 7 and 8, he describes his return uh, back to uh, Jerusalem, or not back to, but his first time to Jerusalem, but the return of the Jews, the second group coming back. In chapter 7, we've looked at it. It gives you some details of when they left, the dates, uh, some of the uh, details that Artaxerxes had provided for him. Now, chapter 8 is going to be kind of a, uh, a review of the same thing, but this is more uh, official documents on what was taking place. Chapter 8 is going to be his memoirs, kind of like what was taking place. And what's going to be interesting is a lot of details on, on what was required to get everything ready to go and a couple of the problems they had. Then they leave for the journey. There's no description of the journey. It doesn't mention the cities they went through. It doesn't mention the difficulties or the lack of difficulties. Uh, it just says they, it, the trip went well and they arrived in Jerusalem. They take three days off to kind of recover from the journey then bring the gifts to the temple, and then take the, the orders out and give them to the Persian officials from Artaxerxes. So there's really got, not going to be any discussion about the actual journey. It's just the preparation for the journey in chapter 8 and when they arrive. And again, this is more from uh, Ezra's perspective. Um, I've been looking in the NIV at, at, the, uh, at the verses uh, I, I think what I will do is just go right to the notes with the English Standard Version and break this chapter down this way. Um, uh, point one, in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, we can maybe go back and read that. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. I'm going to review this. This is him just describing uh, the leaving and, and the going to the... Uh, the, the temple. It says, uh, verse 8, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month on the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. Now, what's going to be interesting, we're talking about the first day of the first month. Uh, that's when he leaves. Today in our story, we're going to see that he actually is going to leave on the twelfth day. We're going to have this broken down into this, this kind of a, a, a breakdown. Is you're going to have the first nine days of where they're going to be traveling. Nine days, one through nine, where they're traveling to the canal of Ahava. The Ahava Canal, I've got a picture of our location of where that's at. Uh, they arrive at the Ahava Canal. If you look right there on the map that you see up here, Sippar. It's kind of close to where that dot for Sippar is at. I've also got a map here. They're going to leave Babylon and travel nine days up at the, at the canal Ahava. There they're going to fast. He's going to take note of who's all there, take note of all the treasures that are there, divide the treasures up for the men to carry, but is also going to realize an amazing thing. There's no Levites. No leave. That's one of the problems of this chapter. No Levites showed up. So there's been some kind of a campaign, you know, uh, radio commercials, you know, emails, big campaign of who's going back with Ezra. And uh, there's certain people sign up for the trip, but no Levites sign up. Now, one of the things is either going to be the Levites, he's going to know where to look for them. And they're maybe working in some kind of a sanctuary there. Or they've just gone about their daily, since the temple's gone, they've just kind of a, moved into society and just become, you know, they've got regular jobs, living their lives. And now they're going to either have to leave their comfortable sanctuary that they've got, which doesn't say for sure, or they're going to have to leave their, what we'd say, their secular lifestyles and now dedicate themselves to serving in this temple in Jerusalem in a land they've never seen. So the Levites don't appear to be very interested in going back. In fact, on the first return, uh, going back to 537 with the Zerubbabel, there was 1.5% of the people that returned were Levites. Just a hand, I mean, 
just barely enough to scrape by. In fact, what Ezra's planning on doing is trying to restore the law of Moses in their lifestyles, but also in the temple. And they're going to need Levitical service in the temple. And they're probably running short on it. So he's planning on going back. He's got gifts for the temple. He's got people that are going back. He's going back to teach. But there's no Levites. So that's going to be a problem. So after the first nine days that they travel from Babylon to the Ahava Canal, at that point, they're going to take record of who's there. There's going to be a fast. They're going to count out all the treasures, divide that. And then the Levites, they've got to go find some Levites. And they're going to find... uh, I think it's about 30, uh, maybe tw- uh, 38 Levites. I think they're going to, uh, we'll look at the numbers there, that they're actually going to find. They're going to know where to go find them and convince them to join them. And then after three days of being at the Hava Canal, they're going to begin their journey on the 12th. <clears throat> That's the way I'm presenting it. Now, as you look at this, you could do something like this. They leave... Uh, and they go to the Ahava Canal. It takes, they leave on the 1st. It takes them three days to get to the Ahava Canal. And then they're going to be here for nine days at the Ahava Canal. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, it, it gives the indication they're only there for three days. And then you've got this nine days. It gives them more time to find the Levites. We're going to go with the idea it's going to travel nine days to the Ahava Canal. And then they'll be camped there for three days and then they're going to leave. Uh, you can look at that as we read through this. Uh, we definitely know when they leave. The journey begins on the first day of the first month when they begin, but it's going to take them 12 days to kind of get everything rolling, and they're actually going to make the exit on the 12th day. So I like to think they're in Babylon, and they're going to leave, go to the Ahava Canal, and then after, on the 12th day, they're going to leave the Hava Canal and head for Jerusalem. So leave Babylon on the first day. Ninth day, they're here. The twelfth day, they're heading to Jerusalem. And all these activities are going to take place at the Hava Canal. Uh, the second thing, second point. Uh, well, that's just what I explained. The, uh, uh, the Hava Canal, if it's a nine days journey to the Hava Canal, it'd be about 100 to 130 miles. They're going to end up traveling on this journey 900 miles. It's going to take four months. If it was a military, uh, it could travel a lot faster. If they're taking the Persian interstate system with the Pony Express that we talked about before, take a matter of days. But because they're traveling with children uh, and probably some old people, uh, it's going to take them uh, a lot longer. So here you go. Page one, the first set of notes right here. Oh, I want to do this. I've got this, these notes broken into sections of this chapter. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 14, this is the Jews returning with Ezra. This is basically the genealogy. It's going to name the heads of the family and who's involved. And again, it's going to be very important that they've got their records, that they've got some paper. Who are you? What family do you come from? And that's going to be that, those first 14 verses. It's uh, kind of dry, boring information, but it is details that we see in other places and it does match the genealogies in chronicles and other places we'll talk about that then after we get through that the next page page two chapter eight verse 15 through 20 ezra sends some levites uh sends for some levites return to jerusalem they arrive at the ahava canal in in chapter eight verse 15 and as he's taking note and he's seen all that genealogy list of who all the travelers where's the levites None of the Levites responded to the emails or the radio commercials. It's like, Levites are going, no, no, we're fine. We're not going back. And again, we're not sure exactly why. But he's going to send some people. He's going to even say in the text, it's a very diplomatic type of situation to get these Levites to go. So Ezra's going to choose some powerful leaders. He's going to take a, two men of learning or great, they're, they're they're skilled in learning their knowledge or they're great diplomats, so maybe some influential people and two guys that know how to talk, lawyer talk. He said, it's going to say literally, I put words in their mouth and sent them to talk to this chief of where the Levites are at. And that works, and he convinced them. That's what takes place in verses 15 through 20. He convinces some Levites through some negotiation. Uh, it's interesting where that place is at. We'll look at that. Uh, then page 4, chapter 8, verse 21 through 23, 
They're going to have a fast there by the river Ahava before the journey. That describes that fast. Then chapter 8, verse 24 through 30, uh, they're going to weigh out the treasure that is being sent to Jerusalem. It's a tremendous amount of gold, silver, bronze, uh, treasures that were coming from Jewish donations, donations from Persian officials, and donations or gifts from Artaxerxes. And that's where I'm going to, uh, Prim said last week, he mentioned uh, uh, Haggai, and I've got that verse written down here, Haggai 2, where God had said in uh, 520 on October 17th, he says he's going to shake the earth and uh, the silver and gold is mine. And uh, you mentioned that the other time. It's a very, it's a perfect match because it's, it's amazing. It takes uh, uh, 62 years later, uh, the nations that have been conquered by Persia, all that Golzin brought to Persia, and the Persians themselves give it to Ezra to take back to the temple. So it's almost like a, 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 a fulfilled, not almost, but it's, a, it's a, a fulfilled prophecy in the sense we'll take a look at that. Anyway, they're, they're weighing out the treasures and they're going to divide it up and give it to 24 people, 24 men. There's going to be 12 priests, 12 Levites selected to carry this treasure uh, and they're going to have to guard it. I mean, it's, it's, it's millions of dollars. I mean, it's tremendous. It's, it's gifts from Artaxerxes himself. Like we've mentioned like a thousand times, we've got examples of his silver bowls that came from his house that he drank from. And so the Persians had conquered the Babylonians who had conquered the, the Assyrians. And everything in the world that, in the Middle East at that time had been conquered by Assyrian Babylon. All the gold was there. Persia adds to it their own and takes what's, what's been collected by everybody else. So they've got a, a huge amount of wealth that they've got. Okay, uh, then chapter 8, verse 34, 31 through 34 is the journey from the river Ahava to Jerusalem. Not, not a lot of details about the journey. It's just there they go, and now they're there. And then chapter 8, verse 35, Ezra's returning ex, ex, uh, the exiles worship. And then the last verse is a very important verse because he then goes around and hands out Artaxerxes' documentations or his orders or what is Ezra doing here. He's on a, a mission from the king, and so he takes these documents and distributes them. Uh, you'd appear that he's going to have to be traveling. It doesn't say he travels, but not everyone's going to come to Jerusalem to meet him. He's going to have to go make contact with these other officials, these, these, the king's governors and satraps, and tell them, this is what we're here for, and this is your part, here's your orders. And they all cooperate with Ezra. And so he's rejoicing throughout this. He's considering God's hand is with him because, one, he found Levites. Finally, some Levites joined, and God's hand was with him. They have a successful journey. God's hand was with him. He has these uh, letters that go out and give to these official leaders, and they cooperate God's hand was with him. So Ezra sees this whole thing. Uh, he's just walking through this, the, the doors that God has opened. So okay, so page one, looking at the uh, verses 8, 1 through 14. Again, this is a list of genealogy. These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. So notice right here, Ezra's writing this. It's in first person. So this is different than chapter 7. It's, it's covering the same material, but now this is Ezra's memoirs. It's, he's talking about it personally. And notice he's talking about the heads of the families. Of these families that are going to be mentioned, this is interesting, there's only one of these families that's going back to, to Jerusalem that hasn't already had family members go. In other words, if, if you say these families have already got family in Jerusalem. So some of their family went back some 60 years before, and now they've been straggling behind, and when they're asked to go, they join. They're going to join their families. So it would appear that there is some kind of a, again, there, some of this is speculation, and I don't want to make too much of it, but you do want to mention, notice this, that there may have been some kind of a, a division. Some people that when they had a chance to go back, they're ready to go back and get started on the Jewish history, get back started on what the law of Moses talked about. There are some 
they divided and kind of go, well, that's over. Or they were born in Babylon, they grew up in Babylon. I compare it to me going back to my ancestors come from Germany or uh, England. It's like, well, I can't wait to get back to my home country. It's like, uh, I don't want to go back to my home country. I'm, this is my home country. And same thing, these people have been there for a, 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 you know, several generations. They've been born there, they speak the language, they know the culture. They've never even seen Jerusalem. And whatever they've heard about Jerusalem, it's been burnt to the ground. It's ancient history. Uh, they don't want to go back. So there's probably a, a void or a gap in the, the culture. Of those. Well, we're going to... Esther, uh, these people, her family, they, they, they stayed. Uh, there is a family that's known uh, and in, in the records and in history from this time period, uh, Jews that got into the banking business that had... Right here in Persia during this time, they were, they were running banks and making all kinds of money and probably contributed money to the Jerusalem temple. Uh, that's an assumption, but that family was in operation here at this time. So some of the Jews in Babylon, they prospered. And you can see that they're going to go back with possessions. They're going to go back with servants. And they're going to make donations that are incredible. So these Jews that are being brought back, the heads of the families... One, these families are already there, and they're going to join them. There's one additional family that's not mentioned previously. And then he goes through and gives you a list. Chat, verse 2. Of the sons of Phineas, Gershom. Now, this is Phineas, one of the high priests, and uh, Gershom. It's, that would be from the line of Aaron. Of the sons of Ithamar, that would be another one of the uh, uh, priests of Levitical tribes, Daniel. Now, of the sons of David, Hatush. And this the guy's name is from David, Hatush. Now again, I don't want, again, I, it's interesting. I want you to find this amazing, interesting. And again, it's going to be more than you maybe want to even get involved in. This is a descendant of David. If you look on point two, I write this. Notice in verse two, from the sons of the line of David is Hatush. And that means David is back here. I mean, this goes through all the, way, all the genealogy. Hatush is there. Now, um, <clears throat> Hatush is four generations after Zerubbabel. In the, we're going to read the genealogy. So Zerubbabel goes back. Hatush, one, two, three, four generations later, is in, right here, is in Babylonia, in Babylon, and is heading back with Ezra. So somehow Zerubbabel's family, some went with him, some stayed, and they continued to have family. He still got his connection. To, well, here you can see it right here. Um, and then I, I, I do some assumption here, which you don't have to accept. I mean, just the age. But the genealogy, chapter, 1 Chronicles, I got it there, point A, 2A. 1 Chronicles 3.17, the genealogy is listed. Jehoiachin, then his son is going to be, one of his sons is Padiah, who has a son named Zerubbabel, we talked about him, who has a son named Hananiah, plus others, who has a son named Shekinah, who has a son named Shemaiah, who has a son named Hatush. And that's all in those, those verses right there. The sons of Jachaniah. And Jachaniah, his name became Jehoiachin. If you remember the, the sons of... Uh, 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 the, the king uh, got so many names going in my head. Got killed in Megiddo. Jeremiah's friend. They started the revival. Josiah. Thank you. <clears throat> Josiah's got the three sons: uh, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and then Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last king. He was killed uh, and taken, or he was blinded and taken to Babylon. Jehoiakim, his second son. Rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and his 19-year-old son Jehoiachin took the throne just in time for Nebuchadnezzar to come in 597 and take Jehoiachin into captivity as a young man. Jehoiachin then is eventually let out of prison. He has a family. There's 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 cuneiform writings of of from Babylon of the listing of Jehoiachin's 
uh, rations of food that the Babylonians provided. So he had a family, he had government provisions listed in cuneiform writing. His name and his provisions are listed. And so that is this guy right here. Uh, the sons of Jehoiachaniah, jo- or Jehoiachin, the captive, and then it gives all the lists. I've got the, them uh, highlighted, uh, Padiah, Zerubbabel, Hananiah, so kind of all the way through. And if each of them was born and lived, or was, had a child at the age of 25, so 25, uh, genera- or 25 years for each generation, that would put Hattush would be born about this time. If it was 25 years, he'd be about two years old with that breakdown. And you're, you're assuming what year Zerubbabel was born, or I'm assuming what year Zerubbabel was born, and all that's assumption. But nonetheless, the point being, he's in that generation. Now, he's got to be older since he's one of the heads of the families going back, but he is in that generation. And so, coming back, our priests, Levites, more sons of David. Now again, David's family could be very large by this time. And it goes through and lists all these other people. Basically, I'm going to go through and just read the numbers. Uh, verse 3 of the sons of uh, Shachaniah, who was the sons of Peros, Zechariah, who, with whom were registered 150 men. And with each of these verses, it ends with, with whom was listed 200 men, 300 men, 50 men, 70 men, 80 men, 218, 160 28, 110, and then finally 60. And the last one is 70. So altogether, if you turn the page, these are the men and the heads of families that are going to come with them is you've got 1,514 men, heads of families, that say, yes, I'm with Ezra, and you've got them listed there. Now, as we go through there, um, there's 18 total, heads, 18 total men, heads of families, 17 of those are already, their, their, their relatives are already in Jerusalem. Um, they're going to find out that they have no Levites coming up in the story. Zechariah, or Ezra, is going to end up getting 258 Levites. And then you add, you know, uh, the women and children. This group is about 4,000 to 5,000 people are coming back. Notice that, 258 Levites. Before the Levites got, they got all these, they've even got royalty. They got descendants of David, but zero Levites. No one's interested in being a Levite. For some reason, they've got it too good where they're at, and they're negotiated, and 258 joined them, giving you a total of, what is the total? 1,772 men, and then plus their wives and children, four to 5,000. Zerubbabel, the original group that came back, was right around 50,000, just short of 50,000 people. So it's a quite a bit smaller group. Of that 50,000, only 1.5 were Levites. And so uh, Ezra is kind of getting a taste of what he's getting into when he gets to Jerusalem because he's planning on teaching them the law and having this glorious Jewish culture. And when he gets there, he's going to find out none of these people are ready to do what Ezra has in his mind. I, th- I would assume the people he's been teaching in Babylon are ready to come back and follow the law of Moses. That's why they're all cooperating. But when they get there, they're going to find things have really deteriorated <clears throat> over the last few years. Okay, now chapter 8, verse uh, 15 through 20. This is mentioning the, the lack of Levites. Chapter 8, verse 15. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. And there we camped for three days. This is where we've got, they leave on the first day. I'm going to assume they travel for nine days. Now they're at the Ahava River uh, for three days camping. Again, that's the best I'm doing with that right there. What you need to see is there's a map of uh, uh, the Middle East. You can see uh, uh, the the Mesopotamia, the Euphrates and Tigris River. Then I've got like a little box right there. If you look right in that box, you can see where it says Ahava Canal. I've got a dot right there. It's, the dot is right there about where Sipper's at, maybe a little bit further north. Uh, no one's exactly sure where that's at, but that would be about 100, 130 miles north of Babylon. And it's probably a canal that runs into uh, the Euphrates River. Then I've got on the over on, no one knows where this is at either, but it's close. There's a place called 
Cassophia, uh, which is the word for uh, the word for silver comes from that. We're going to talk about that. That's where they're going to find the Levites. That's a very interesting word, and we're going to take a, take a moment to look at that. Nonetheless, you can see where they're at. They left Babylon, a nine-day journey up to Ahava. They're going to spend three days there, if that's the correct formula. Uh, and then they're going to leave from there, and you can follow the dotted line, uh, estimating how they traveled. It's going to be four months, 900 miles. Anyway, chapter 8, verse 15, I gather them to the river that runs to Ahava, the Ahava Canal, and there we camp for three days. As I reviewed the people and the priest, I found there none of the sons of Levi. This is a big deal. That's just not a statement. It's like, we got the people. Okay, you're, they're traveling with us. The priest, we have no Levi. There no, no Levi. It could almost be a political, a cultural a, a, a compromise, something. They, they're not there. Then I sent for, and he's going he's to name some men. These are leading men. There, there's names. Eliezer, Ariel, Shammai, El Nathan, Jerob, another El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men. Now these would be the guys that have influence. These are the guys that can, if they take you out for lunch, you're kind of going to listen to what they've got to say. They're the guys that are kind of the power players. But also, and for Joyarib and El Nathan, who were men of insight. Along with those leading men, he sends two men that here, the English standard says men of insight. That can mean knowledgeable, they knew the law of Moses. That can also mean legally, lawyer terms. Or it can mean that they were diplomats, that they they were the guys that had the silver tongue. They were the ones that, they weren't just influential, had the money, had the power. These guys could talk the talk. What do you need? What, and this is really what it is. This is going to be a negotiation. The Levites say, no, we're not going back. Ezra says, we need you. We need, how many is it? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I count right there, nine men that were the power players and two men who were men of insight. Really, what do we need to close this deal? And he sends them, uh, I sent them to Idu. Now, Idu is over here at this place, the leading man at the place, Cassophia. Now, this is a big deal for me tonight. Cassophia. Let me see if I can spell that. Cassophia. I forgot a letter. I can tell you that. Cass- oh, I did not. I spelled that correctly. Okay. Idu is the head of Cassophia. Now watch how this works. You don't have to accept this, but my, uh, I've got commentaries, good scholars, but I've also got historical books that just provide insight behind the verses and the words. Uh, s- academic, scholarly things. These are not like, you know, oddball YouTube videos or something or generation word propaganda. Uh, these are from the scholars. Uh, let me just read through these notes here so I get this right. Levites were needed for the temple services to function. If Ezra's going to follow this correctly, he's going to have to have the Levites. Uh, he's doing things properly. Uh, the Levites were the teachers for Israel. Leviticus 10, Deuteronomy 33. They were stationed all across Israel. You had one place of worship called the place, the temple, where you'd worship. But the Levites were stationed throughout the land so that you could have teaching centers everywhere. You'd all go to Jerusalem but back home, you had instruction. These Levites in Babylon may have been very comfortable in a very comfortable setting. Didn't want to leave. Uh, things under Ezra. Now, nah, this is true. Ezra, and you're going to see next chapter, it's, it, it sh- may shock you. It, I think it shocked Ezra. Things are not as good as he thinks. And he's going to have to clean house. And he's planning on following the letter of the law. And so if you're going to sign up and be a Levite or a priest with Ezra, who himself is a priest... Uh, you're going to do it the right way. You're going to put in the required time. You're going to uh, do the correct work, wear the correct clothes. There's not going to be casual Thursdays in the temple. Uh, it's going to be, everybody's going to be full uniform, full time. Uh, and some of these Levites can see that coming, and it's kind of like, yeah, I ain't going back with Ezra. Uh, it's going to require some work. Especially if they've compromised and began living in a Babylonian lifestyle. Now to go back 
and function the temple under Ezra's jurisdiction, it's like, no. Um, <clears throat> point D points out the numbers, the 1.5% that came back with Zerubbabel. Now, point three, Cassophia is related to the word silver. That's just interesting. It's going to eventually, this city is going to become the center, the head of the Parthian Empire, which is coming after uh, the Greeks. Uh, this is going to be built up. But what's interesting, I have right here uh, two texts of Hebrew Scripture. It's kind of close together, so you can't really see. But the first one, it says Ezra 8.17. And if we read that backwards, uh, it, here's, here it is. This is chapter 8, verse 17 of Ezra, the verse we're looking at. And I gave a command for them, I do, the chief man, at Casaphia, then see the box, the place, and I told them what they should say to Idu and his brothers. Uh, the Nethrium. At, here it is again, Casaphia, the place, that they should bring servants for the house of our God. Now, what's interesting is there, and it's, it's, it come, it's translated just like it is in most of the translations, is the place. And that the place, it's not just, you don't need to say West Des Moines, the place, or the place West Des Moines. You just say West Des Moines, and you know that it is a place. You don't need to say the place West Des Moines. But they're saying Casaphia, the place. They say it twice. Now what's interesting is, and we can see this, uh, and we've mentioned it before, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel before they get to the promised land. He says, God is going to show you the place. Uh, when you find the place, when you go to the place, and he's talking about the location of the temple. It was called the place. And here it is, Deuteronomy 12.5, that's the next box. I'm going to read that backwards because it's Hebrew. For, but unto the place where chooses Yahweh your God out of all your tribes to establish his name, there as his dwelling place, you shall seek and you shall go there. Where? To the place. And that is just one of the many examples of you're going to be going to the land and Yahweh is going to choose the place. When he chooses the place, he's going to put his name there, and that's where you will go to gather him at the place. Now this, it is not, it, this is not clear in the text, and uh, you know, I may be in error even pointing it out, but every, most commentators point it out, even the historical records say, man, this is, this is interesting. Because Casaphia was a town, and it is called the place. And in the Old Testament, the place is where you went to worship God. Now, that would mean that right here, right across from uh, the uh, Ahava Canal, on the, on the Tigris River, there's a place, the place, where they built some kind of a shrine, some kind of a sanctuary, some kind of a temple, a makeshift temple, for them to continue functioning as with their religion, which is not amazing. In fact, it's absolutely what happened down the Euphrates, or down the Nile River, down towards Thebes, in a place called Elephantine. They, the Jews that went down into Egypt after Babylonian destruction, probably with Jeremiah, they ended up settling a, a community, well documented, you can look it up, and they built a temple. There's even papyrus from that place. And, and you can see historically that they built a temple. In that fact, that when everybody talks about where the Ark of the Covenant is, that's one of the places where they suggest the Ark has been hidden is down in Elephantine, down in uh, southern Egypt or down by Thebes, uh, where the Jews would have taken it with Jeremiah and hid it. I don't think there's any, any reason to think that's true, but it's definitely an option. My point for saying that is the Jews that fled to Egypt made a shrine, a, a, a sanctuary. 
it's likely they put one. And guess who's at the place uh, at Casaphia? Guess where they go to get who? The Levites. Where are the Levites? In Casaphia. What are they doing there? I don't know. Maybe they've got, you know, businesses. Maybe they're functioning in that sanctuary. Nonetheless, that's enough about that. But he sends them, when he gets to Ahava, Canal, there's no Levites. He sends them to Casaphia, the place, to Idu, who's in charge of the place, and says, hey, I need some, I need some Levites. <clears throat> and so we go back to <clears throat> page 2, the, the scriptures, verse 17. And I sent them to Idu, the leading man at the place, Casaphia, it says it several times, telling them what to say. Now right here, when it says telling them what to say, we saw it in the Hebrew, that literally is translated, I put words in their mouth. I didn't say, hey, go talk to them, see if you can figure something out. I send these, these, these nine guys that are the power players, these two negotiators that are men of learning, great with words, and here is what, this is what you will say. Ezra, who's like the chief of the scholars, chief of the learners, chief of the men with insight, he tells them, these are the words you're going to say to Idu to convince these Levites to come back with us because I don't think they want to go. Otherwise, they'd be here. So he puts words in their mouth. And his brothers and the temple servants at the place of Casaphia. Notice right there, I do, his brothers, and the temple servants. It sounds like it's a center of worship there. I mean, it doesn't say that. I'm just saying the Levites are all there. Uh, it tells you who's going with him. Uh, okay, okay, verse 18. And by the good hand of our God, in other words, he gives credit to God. God finally broke through these people. Uh, good hand of God was on us. <clears throat> they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel. Meaning, he traces, meaning right there, brought us a man. He's got his genealogy, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. So here was a man tracing lineage back to Levi, going through Mahali, the son of Levi, and he had 18 men with him. <clears throat> and also, Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah of the sons of Moriah, another son, with his kinsmen, the sons, 20. So he's got 18 plus 20. So he's got 38 Levites. <clears throat> now besides that, interesting, just an interesting note right here, 220 of the temple servants. Now the temple servants were not Levitical. There's 220 of these. These were, as David did, David organized the choirs, you know, the, the, he ro organized the rotation of the Levites as they come in every two weeks. They would rotate the priests, they'd go live in their, or the Levites and the priests would live in their communities wherever they were at. And then for two weeks, they'd, a year, they'd come serve in the temple. It used to be they had so many that they had to break them up. You go home, and that's the, the typical story everybody refers to is a John the Baptist's dad. It was, they lived somewhere else, but it's his, his turn to be in rotation there in the temple for two weeks, and he got drawn by Lot to go into and burn incense on the altar. You didn't always get to do that. You may live a whole life and never get chosen to go in there and burn incense. He got chosen, and when his two weeks was over, he would go back home. So David set up the rotation of the choirs, the priests, the Levites, but he also selected or had a group of people, just a mixed group of people that were the servants. They were just kind of in the, the background, the custodial work or whatever, not the priestly work, not the Levitical work, but that stuff that nobody wanted to do. You're a temple servant, but you had a career. You're a temple servant and a family of the temple servants. And they weren't necessarily connected to Aaron. <clears throat> so besides these 38 Levites, we've already got the priest. Now we've got Levites. 220 of the temple servants, for some reason, from the families that David organized, they still know where they come from, they want to come back and serve in the temple. And again, they're not priests, they're not from the line of Aaron, they're not Levites, but they come back. So they're going to have 220 of those. Um, and it says, these were all mentioned by name, uh, which means they all had their paperwork. That's what that refers to. They all were mentioned by name, they could bring their paperwork. I'm turning to page 4. Now, they, they show up. Now, then, this is taking place on that three days at the Hava Canal, which I, I'm wondering, they had to be close. They had to send these men to negotiate. It had to be close. 
uh, maybe just right across, like it says, the Tigris River and Euphrates, get real close to that point if those are the right locations. Or you could switch and put this nine days down here after the three if you need more time. I don't think that's what it says. But, okay, verse 21. Then after he's got the Levites, he's got everybody counted. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. So they're getting ready to travel. They're going to fast and seek God's favor. And that's what it is. They're, they're fasting. And he's doing this instead of asking for a military escort. Notice it talks about the, the wives, the children, or ourselves, our children. And then it says our goods. They've got possessions. <clears throat> and the reason he's, at, he's fasting and asking God for help why does he ask for a, you know, if he's doing Artaxerxes business, why does he ask for some governmental aid? Because he, he apparently had convinced Artaxerxes to send him back because the God that he serves was a powerful, glorious God that you want on your side. I'll go back and restore order in Jerusalem uh, if you'll send me because this is a very powerful God. And it, it's, it's the true God, obviously, overall, but for Artaxerxes, it's just another God that's on his side. So Ezra had made that, apparently, speech, and Artaxerxes is even sending treasures back for this temple. Okay, I want that God on my side. Now that you've got Artaxerxes, the great king, convinced that, yeah, I want that God on my side. Oh, hey, could we have a military escort so we don't get ambushed on the way? It's kind of like, what? I don't need that kind of help. If you need my military to protect you for your God, why do I need that God on my side if my military is more powerful? So he says right here, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, quote, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So that kind of like sums up his message, is if you're seeking him, he's got, you're on his side. But if you don't favor, seek him, his wrath is against you. That's the kind of God I serve. Well, then you better go here. Take this stuff and give it to him. I want him on my side. Oh, can I have some help? Some military? It's like, it just wouldn't have sounded good. He's like, I can't ask for help. Now, 13 years from now, Nehemiah is going to go back, and he's going to have a military escort. The difference is Nehemiah is going back as an official right out of Artaxerxes' palace. He's going back, and he is a government official with a military escort. So again, some of you, well, you know, Ezra had faith. Nehemiah didn't two different people. Ezra's like, well, you can just see it right there. I, I can't ask for help after I, best thing we can do is, okay, guys, we better fast because we've got to take a 900-mile journey, and you're going to see how much treasure they've got. I mean, if someone would have knocked off this, this caravan, uh, they would have been set up for forever, and so there's a lot of gold and silver, and you've got to imagine uh, they're not traveling unarmed, but here we go. <coughs> uh, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Chapter 8, verse 24 through 30. Here's weighing out the treasure. Now they've got all this gold from Artaxerxes, treasure from his officials that also have contributed, plus the Jews that are not going, maybe the banking family. I, I wish I, I could think of the name. I can't think of the name, but they're, they're well recorded. They maybe have sent money back plus all the people that are going back with the treasures they've got. Well, here's how much they've got. And this is, again, uh, prophesied in, by Haggai in uh, 517. Uh, then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, gives their names, or no, it doesn't give their names, and then Sherebiah and Hashabiah and 10 of their kinsmen with them. So what that says is I take... Or Ezra says, I take 12 priests and I take 12 Levites. And the two of the Levites are mentioned, Sherebiah and Hashabiah, 10 of their kinsmen. So he's got 24 men. These men are be, going to be given, weighed out the, uh, a certain amount of treasure, gold, silver, articles. And then there, it's written down, it's all recorded. And it's even at the end of the journey, it's going to be recorded, not so much to keep track of if, make sure it didn't get stolen or get abused, but also it's probably going to, there's records of this from other situations like this, it's going to have to be sent back to the king. This is what we left with, and this is what we arrived with 
And here's the paper. So they're going to have two copies. Okay, well, put that in the file. The, the gold that I sent is safe in Jerusalem. So he's not just being picky about, you know, being responsible. He's also under our, our tax Xerxes. So here it is. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah and Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen, Levites, with them. <clears throat> and I weighed out for them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. So notice again, it's a huge amount is coming from the Persian government and plus the Jews. I weighed out into their hand 650 talents of silver uh, and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold. Now we're talking we're tons. We're talking tons of gold and silver. We're talking millions of dollars worth of, of, of gold and silver. 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks two vessels of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. Again, you can look in your footnotes and see how much it weighs. Go to your market. I got a couple apps on my phone to check the price of silver and stuff. You can see how much this is worth right now today if you want to do all the work. But it's millions of dollars. Of course, that would fluctuate on the market. And I said to them, I said to them, he said, as he, as he hands all this stuff over to them, so all 24 of these people have millions and millions of dollars worth of gold and silver and vessels between them that they've got like somewhere that they're responsible for they probably got to get a system of having men help carry it organize it you know guards protecting it it could get stolen from other jews in the caravan someone would be willing to steal it i would assume or they could get raided by somebody or someone could get into the camp they've got to have some kind of a system they've got to travel for four months 900 miles all the way across the middle east with all this now at the end of this chapter it's going to be way, they're going to all bring it back it's going to be weighed back to ezra counted and it's all going to be there and the paperwork will be sent to our tag xerxes so this this in itself is an enormous feat of record keeping and protection but he says to them after he gave them all these this treasure he says you are holy to the lord and the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are free will offerings to the lord uh, the God of your fathers. Now, he's, they're holy. They're, they're consecrated. They've been set apart. So you and this gold has been set apart for God. This is God. It's not just money. It's not just gold. This is sanctified, set apart. You and this treasure. Then he says, guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem. I've got the paperwork right here saying how much is that you each have when we get there i'm going to lay this down in front of the high priest all the levites and the heads of the family that are in jerusalem waiting for us and then you're going to weigh out exactly what it says on here and he told that to 24 men now again everyone's got good intentions but it's kind of putting the pressure on uh you know don't lose this <clears throat> so the priests and the levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to jerusalem to the house of god now here's <clears throat> Point two, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. This was spoken October 17th, 520 B.C. It's in your Bibles. So this was 62 years, 62 years before this. God had said this. When he's talking to these people here, promising, you've got to build this temple. You've got to, he said, I've got great plans for this temple. And then they didn't do it. They didn't do it. But Haggai came back, you know, 520 and says, you guys should be doing this because God is saying, in 520 right there after they hadn't had to finish the job for thus says the lord of hosts yet once more in a little while and if this is the fulfillment in 62 years i will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land now he's going to shake them with the persians just keep conquering if, if you want how, how are you going to shake them i'm shaking him with persia and i will shake all nations again, in this case, with Persia, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, shall come into Persia. And they're, they're one of the wealthiest. I mean, this is what they're well known for having tremendous wealth, silver and gold. And I will fill this house with glory. So what, what kind of glory? Yeah, you're going to have the Shekinah glory, God's presence coming down. But I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to bring all the gold and silver into the Persians, and then they're going to hand it to you, and I'm going to bring that glory of that treasure into this house. Says the Lord of hosts, the silver is mine, 
and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So that's just kind of an interesting connection where this tremendous record of silver and gold being brought in, it could be a direct connection. Uh, Ezra doesn't say, doesn't quote Haggai and say, ah, just like Haggai said, but it does parallel there. It is interesting in the tremendous amount of gold. Um, <clears throat> page 5, chapter 8, verse 31 through 34. Now here's your journey. Now here's that 900-mile journey. You ready for the details? All right. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month. Now they left Babylon. They left Babylon on the first day, meaning the city Babylon. They moved to Ahava. <coughs> and uh, Ahava. And on the 12th day, they left for Jerusalem. So they leave on the first day. They leave for Jerusalem on the 12th day. There's 12 days here. Three days were spent at Ahava which included the fast, looking for the Levites. So somewhere you've got to put nine days here or nine days here, somewhere. But that is that the first 12 days. We departed the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. Now again, that's all it says. And most of the commentators say whatever kind of ambush that they had or attacks or confusion... They were delivered. They didn't lose anything. But most of them leaned towards the idea <clears throat> that they made this trip and never had a confrontation. Again, it doesn't say. You don't know what happened. You don't know if they fought off bandits, if, you know, there was a... You don't know. It, so the, it would appear to be safe to assume that they made this journey without any conflict. And when they prayed, uh, they prayed for a safe journey. The phrase there is a straight road. They prayed for a straight road. So nonetheless, if they had an ambush, they were delivered from it, or possibly they kept scouts out looking for ambush, and nothing ever happened. We don't know exactly the details. But that's, that's a journey right there. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. Give us some details. That's it. And then verse 32, we came to Jerusalem. And that, 900 miles, tell us, I mean, Moses took him 40 years and three books to get us through the wilderness. I mean, give us some details. Nothing, nothing. <clears throat> now, when they got to Jerusalem, uh, they, they take three days off, probably because of the journey, get everybody settled in, find places to stay. Uh, so they stay there for three days. So that's, that's how fast it goes. They leave on the 12th day. Then four months later, they arrive. When we arrive... We sit around for three days to kind of recover, apparently remained there for three days, didn't do anything. Then verse 33, on the fourth day, within the house of God, now everybody's, th it's the fourth day, everybody back to work. These 24 guys have to show up, get your treasures out. On the fourth day, within the house of God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Mayamoth, Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar, son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Jezebad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. Now, some of those names repeat, especially in Nehemiah, those names are going to be repeated. So in other words, they, they brought it all in, all these 24 guys in, bring huge amount of treasure into the temple. And that temple that they built is now filled with, with this glory of this gold from Persia. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. Not just for Ezra's purposes, but probably for documentation, and then it was sent back to Artaxerxes and put in the, in the file. Everything is here. So they spent three days recovering, counted off, and it's all right there. Then the next two verses, when we're done, we're done. Uh, verse 35, after that was all done, the people that returned are going to worship God on the Temple Mount and offer sacrifice. Some of these sacrifices they brought with them. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, about four to 5,000 of them total, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all of Israel, probably a bull representing each tribe. Ninety-six rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. 
So that's what was offered. And so the temple is up and running. They just got a huge influx of gold and silver. These offerings, these, these bulls and cattle were offered. Not as big as what was offered in 516, which was not as big as what Solomon offered. But again, a pretty good amount of offering, a tremendous amount of offering for four to 5,000 people coming from exile. Again, very wealthy group of people appears to be returning. When we talk about exiles, they're bringing a lot of cash. They're not like exile. You think about an exile coming into a country, you know, a backpack and a pair of worn-out sneakers. These guys are bringing government treasure from Persia, which is really amazing. They're bringing governmental treasures to the house of God in Jerusalem. Completely different perspective, the Persians' treatment of the Jews than some of the other nations. The last verse, and this is now Ezra getting about his official business. They also delivered the king's commissions. Now, the king's commissions would be documentation, the paperwork, the orders. What are these people doing? What do I expect to happen? They delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and the governors of the province beyond the river. So beyond the river, once again, it's not confusing because we know what it means. It means trans-Euphrates, everything on this side of the Euphrates. What's confusing is how much do you mean Ezra is now overseeing? He's overseeing Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, or you're sending letters to the, the satraps and the governors of trans-Euphrates, which goes from Carchemish all the way down to Memphis. It's like, so somewhere between, you know, First Street in Jerusalem to the whole side of the Euphrates, Ezra's got paperwork. Here's what Artaxerxes expects you to do for me. I'll be overseeing it. I'll be back to check on you. It's like, you know, that's definitely going to be true in Jerusalem and in Judea, but how far does that go? Uh, it doesn't really tell you here, except you got the beyond the river, trans-Euphrates, and they aided the people and the house of God. It has to involve someone outside of Jerusalem and Judea that's got resources beyond the returning Jews, which would include the force of Lebanon, uh, the cattle. What, what are we talking about? It, it could be much bigger than we can even imagine that Ezra... We're talking about Artaxerxes. I mean, these guys are going across and attacking Greece and fighting down in Egypt. And then he said, well... Go over here, Ezra. And when he says, take it, do it, I mean, that whole map is Artaxerxes. And so it could be a fairly substantial uh, power that Ezra's got right there. And that's just the documentation. And once again, they do it. They, everybody got on board. Now listen, here they had work from Cyrus, and the people go, we're not going to do that. You're not going to do it. And the people go, well, okay. And then they just sat around for, you know, 16 years or so. Well, here, Ezra shows up with paperwork, and uh, everybody goes, yes, sir, we're, we're doing it. So from this point on, and up until through the Greeks, they've got tremendous assets and power and support by the Persian government. So Jerusalem is going to be up and running. <clears throat> when God talks about a land of peace, a greater glory, that's exactly what's happening in Jerusalem right here at this time. Now, things are going to change next week when we go to chapter 9. This is, kind of, this is kind of the interesting part of Ezra that's coming up uh, because he's now going to go off and begin to kind of, now that we got, this is, he's so proud. He's probably, I don't want to speak for Ezra, but he made the journey. They were safe. He delivered all the silver, all the gold. He got some Levites back. It's like, okay, we're, we're doing this. thing is working. God's hand is on us. Now I'm just going to go around and kind of check on everybody and see how everybody, all the teachers are doing. Are we teaching the law of Moses? Are we following the law of Moses? And let's see how, how's everybody's family. Are we in, 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 in agreement with what God expects? And he's going to go out and like, oh my gosh, it's not even close. And he's going to be very upset uh, about a variety of things. And he can't just say, well, you know, these people, he can't be like, you know, in America, you know, like a pastor's got a flock of, you know, it's like, I just wish these people would follow God and tries everything, tries good sermons and good music and outreach programs and smoke machines and tries to promote. Ezra, he's not, it's like, he's like, well, nothing I can do about it. It's like, yeah, there's something I'm going to do about it. I'm going to visit you at your house. I'm going to go through your refrigerator. I'm going to go through your checkbook and we're going to go through your wardrobe. We're going to clean this mess up. It's like, whoa. That's, it's a completely different level of a Western pastor trying to manipulate you and saying, 
Hello, the pastor's here. I'm going to check out what you've got going on here. This wife has to go. These kids are not Jewish. You, back into the temple. It's like, oh, it's like it is not anything we can even relate to. In fact, when you read it, it's almost like you almost want to go, when I read it, I almost want to go to the place of Ezra is a bad guy. Ezra is not being very friendly. He's not even being co- cooperative. But he, you understand, that's why all this is good background. He gave you this history of everything we've gone through, all that he's done, the training, and his purpose, Artaxerxes, is sending him to teach the law of Yahweh and to enforce the law of Persia. He's on official business, to, and, and the empire's supporting this. And when he starts meeting people, they're going like, mm, we don't really do that, we don't follow that. It's like, yes, you do. And he's got God's, he's a priest. He's got God's authority. He's got Artaxerxes' authority. And so some of the things he's going to do, I mean, I've got to say at this point, he is doing the right thing. But there's a big part of me that wants to say, yeah, Ezra should have been a lot nicer in, in his approach. He should not have been pulling out people's hair and sending their wives off into, you know, poverty. And he just seems like, you know, I really don't care because this is the law of God and this is what we're going to do. Toughen up. It's like, yeah, so I, he would have probably been fired by most church boards after the first sermon. Anyway, I'll pray and then you're free to go. Father, we thank you again for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would, again, follow your hand in our own lives as we see you guiding and leading Ezra, that we know that you're doing the same in our day, in our own lives. And we ask that we would serve you and set our lives apart, that we would dedicate our treasures, our attitudes, our lives to you, and again, accomplish the great things that you've got planned for us in our time at our place in history. Again, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for Christian fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.